Good morning. It is so awesome to be able to be with you guys today and be able to hang out. Uh, and uh, sure do love Mike and Crosby. You have amazing pastors with Mike and Crosby. Would you give them a big hand and just thank them for all they do? Apparently there's tension. Um, but yes, the Cannon Bar. And then they're, yeah, there you go. There you go. And then their daughter. I'm like, it's like a portrait. We're going to put them on everything South Hills. We're not putting me on there. We want people to show up to church. So it is really good to be able to be with you guys today and be able to hang out. And uh, as Mike said, Pastor Mike said that uh, lead pastor, founding pastor of South Hills, we have multiple campuses all over, the, all over the place. And then we've got coaching where we do, we coach churches. And then uh, we, we have kind of have three things. We have our official campuses, there's seven of them. We have network campuses. Those are churches that are really connected with us. And we have 23 of those uh, now. And then we also have 300, about 300 churches that we coach every single month. And so you might look around and go, okay, it's not the biggest church in town, but you don't realize you're part of an enormous family. And uh, what a joy it is. And, and don't you love Julius this morning? He did a great job leading worship. Give him a hand. Awesome. Love the way he led worship. Just a great job. So, hey, it's awesome to be able to be with you. If you've got a Bible, we're going to go to Luke chapter 14. If you got a Bible, go to Luke uh, chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, next time you're at a hotel, get one. They're free. And uh, I love them there because I've stolen many. No, um, but we're going to look at that in just a moment. So my, uh, uh, my son and I, some of you may or may not know this, uh, Mike made mention that we are uh, Yankee fans. And uh, how many are Padre fans here? Yeah, any Yankee fans at all here anywhere in the house? None, no Christians. Okay, good, Julius says. Now, some of you may know that my son and I, we, when we, uh, he's 23 years old, he recently started working at a church in Lancaster, California as a sports director and uh, uh, running a sports ministry at a very large church. And, uh, um, but when, we, when he was eight years old, until he was 18 years old, we visited three stadiums per year, major league stadiums. And my son and I have seen all 30 of them. Matter of fact, the top picture is me and him at the very first one. Of course, look at the first one we went and visited, the Yankees. And, um, and uh, well, we just got this bad habit in our family. We, we like to win. And um, I'm just joking. But anyway, and then the bottom picture is a picture of him and I at our very last one was Baltimore, uh, the Orioles at Camway. And, uh, uh, and it's interesting, we went to all 30 stadiums. And I got to tell you, one of our best memories uh, was when we went to Florida. So we land there, and we land in Miami, and we're going to go see a couple uh, uh, teams there, the Marlins, and, and so we're going to go see the teams there. And we go to the rental car place, you know, and I'm a very frugal person. Like, I like, I watch every dollar. And I went up there, and they're, they're like, okay, you know, whatever. And I said, but I, but I travel a lot, so you kind of earn points, you know. And uh, so I said, hey, I said, uh, my last name's Songs, we've got a reservation. All right, you got a choice between a Corolla and a Kia. And, I, and they said, or for $50 more, $50 more. You could have that one. And he pointed over to a brand new, had less than 10,000 miles on it, Corvette convertible. And I was like, that didn't take long to figure that one out. I was like, praise God, you're so good, Lord. And so went over and I, we got in this, it was bright yellow convertible. I mean, you're in Miami, you know, and I'm just, the bright 
yellow convertible Corvette, and I'm looking the part, you know, and my son, he's only at the time, he's like, I think he's 12 or 13 years old, you know, and he's just having the time of his life. I actually took him to a back parking lot at midnight after the game for the first time he ever drove a car. I wanted him to be able to say the first time he drove a car was a convertible Corvette in Miami. How cool is that? So, we went there, we had a great time, whatever, saw that, but we had one day in between all the stadiums, and we went to Disney World in Orlando, so we drove over to my Orlando, we went to spend the night there, you know, all this, we went all throughout Florida, and we, we stayed at Disney World, or in that whole area, if you've ever been there before, it's like a, a state all in itself, and uh, so we went into Disney World, and we stayed in the hotel afterwards, and the, the day we went to Disney World was the hottest day they had recorded in like 20 years. And it's 100 degrees, but it's like 100% humidity. It's not like here in San Diego where God lives. It's, um, it's over there. It was so hot one of the days. I could have swore I saw the devil playing hopscotch on the sidewalk. It was, he was like, finally, you know, it's 190. And so had an incredible time, you know, at Disney World. It was really hot. And then towards the end of the day, we were like, we're done. It's so hot. We went to outside of Disneyland. There's this big food court area. And this big food, it had like all this kind of food, and then they had this like, I don't know, this gazebo tent type thing where they had like, I don't know, a hundred picnic benches. And so we went over and we ordered our pulled pull pork sandwiches, and we went and sat down in the shade. It was still a hundred degrees where everybody's melting, but you get the shade that you can. And as we're just beginning to eat our meal, there's a girl walking around giving out samples. You've seen that before. They give you samples. They want you to try out their food. So she's going throughout the picnic benches in the shaded area, and she's giving out these samples. She comes to our table and says, do you want a sample? I said, no, we, we already have food. We already ordered the food. We already have some. And it occurred to me as she walked away, I watched her over the next 30 minutes as my son and I were eating the sandwiches, just hanging out, trying to not sweat. And, uh, uh, and I noticed that she never left the shade. Because, and, and now here's the thing, everybody in the shade was already eating. They already had food. But she's like, I'm not going out there. That's what she's thinking. Now in my mind, I'm thinking, if you would just step out into the heat you can find thousands of people who haven't made a decision about where they're going to eat, but you're staying inside of the shade. And then it occurred to me, I thought, boy, that's, that's a lot like Christians and a lot like churches, that we eat inside of this area. We come to an area every week and we eat inside the shaded area, and there's thousands of people who need the food, but we never go out and invite them in. And I thought about that. You see, because here's the thing. The church is a lot like this table right here. The church is really a lot like this table in in, in a way. Because we all come and we eat of food. Not so much of physical food, but we eat of spiritual food. Matter of fact, Jesus said it this way in John chapter 8. Put it on the screen for me if you could. John chapter 8 says this. Jesus replies, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be what? never be hungry again. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Here's what Jesus says. He says, I'm the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And whoever will come to me will never be hungry again. Whoever comes to me will never be thirsty again. They may be trying to find happiness and love and happiness and relationships and happiness and in money and all that, and it will all show up short. But Jesus says, if you will come and you will eat of the bread of life, I will satisfy everything inside of you. 
I will satisfy everything inside of you. And so that's what, the, that's what church really is. The church is really a table where we come and we eat of the bread of life. Now, this table represents a lot of different people. Now, at the head of the table, you've got the pastor. That's Mike. Now, he is the dude with the food. He's the one that comes and he brings the food and we come and we listen to a great communicator like Mike who presents the food every day. The church is like a table. Say church is like a table. Okay, it's like a table. So Mike's the dude with the food. Then, then you've got a different group. Now here's the thing. I'm going to go around this table and I promise you every single one of us are sitting at one of these places in the table. So you got Mike. That's kind of reserved for him. You know, he's kind of the dude with the food. Then you've got new believers. Now these are my favorites. I love new believers. I love watching new people come to Christ. I love when someone is brand new in the Bible. They've only been a Christian for like a couple months, and they don't know how, you know, they don't know how to say certain things or do, but they're just, they're trying really hard. You know how the Bible, if you've ever written Psalms, it's, it's spelled, Psalms is spelled P-S-A-L-M-S. I remember when I was at our Corona campus one time, a brand new guy had only been a Christian for like a month. He's a pastor, man, I got a Bible, and I'm reading it, and I love it. I go, what's your favorite book? He goes, Pulsums. I'm all, Pulsums. Psalms, that's what he means, you know, and I love it, and then I, at one of our campuses, you know, a guy came up to me, and I'm not going to say the cuss word, but you know, don't, you know, whatever, but bad with an A, you know, and that's kind of, you know, and he comes up to me, it was at our Burbank campus, you know, and that, that campus is launching its fourth service, it's exploding, and he comes up to me, and he goes, man, you'd only been, I knew it only been a Christian for like a month, he goes, you're one bad A preacher, I'm like, well, that's interesting, you know. <laughs> Should I get a shirt? You know, just kind of interesting. I love new believers. You know why? I love it. Here's what I love. I love going in the hallway at church. You want to just be really blank and just way transparent with you? I love being at one of our new campuses with a ton of new believers, and they don't get it right, and they're not sure about the Bible, and they're not sure how to pronounce things, and they're calling you bad, you know, blank preachers. I love it. And you know what else? I think Jesus just loves it. Because it's what he's all about. As Julius was talking about, if there was only one, he would leave the 99 to find that one. He loves new believers. Now, there's another chair over here. So you got the new believer chair. You might be a new believer. I don't know. And then you've got this one over here. Now, that's the very mature believer. They love the Bible. They love God's word. They, uh, they tithe. They give. They serve. They, they're all in. They do it all. They, they support the pastor. They're loyal. They do all of it. They're very, very, th this is the mature believer, okay? So you've got Mike, who's the dude with the what? Food. Then you've got new believers. Oh, I've only been a Christian for a few months, but man, I'm loving this thing. Then you've got these people that are really mature, truly mature believers, but there's still a, a couple more chairs, and there's one over here. Now, this is an interesting one, because this is called the high chair. Now, here's the thing. A, a while back, I had gone, uh, uh, met with a pastor friend of mine and his wife, and we were talking about some ministry. I was doing some coaching, and we were sitting there at, a, I think it was like Panera Bread or something, and we're sitting there, and this lady and, uh, with a couple other gals, they set up, and they pull up a high chair. And it's, I don't know, the, the, it's like almost a toddler. It wasn't quite a baby, but a toddler sitting in this high chair and, the, you know, starting to eat. 
and me and these, this, this couple were talking to each other. We're talking about ministry and all that. But it started going into counseling because I found out that there were some struggles in their life as pastors. And so I'm kind of counseling them. And this baby starts to fuss. How many have ever been in a restaurant when a baby started to fuss? Not, you know, and you think it's cute when it's your baby. When it's not your baby, the cuteness wears out really fast. So I'm sitting, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm sitting there eating and starting to fuss a little bit. And she's, the baby's starting to cry. The, the baby's starting to cry louder and louder, you know. And I look over at the mom and the, right there. And the mom looks at me and she just kind of gives me one of those looks, you know, just smiling and happy. And it's kind of one of those looks like, oh, I know it's a little loud, but isn't she precious? And I'm thinking, she was 15 minutes ago. Not as precious anymore, i got to be honest with you. And then I'm sitting there at this, at this restaurant, and the baby, I'm not even kidding, is going, is starting to scream. Wants this, not this. The hand of this bread throws the bread. They wanted this, want this. The apple slices, yeah, you know, stuff's flying everywhere. I'm standing there talking. I'm sitting there talking to these people that are counseling, and I'm feeling like bad. And I'm finding my voice is getting louder and louder as I'm trying to like, now it's turning into, God loves you. He cares about you. He's, got, he's a God of peace. You know, just... It's out of control. And I thought, you know, I think in a way that there is different chairs at the table of church, but there is a high chair for some people. Now, here's what it looks like. Here's what the high chair looks like. It's this. They are normally, are you ready for this one? People in the high chair are normally people that have been in church for a long time. They read the Bible, they know the word, they pray, they give, they probably do a lot of things that this person does over here. However, when things don't go their way or when things don't happen the way they want, they fuss and complain. And the worst part about people that are in the high chair is they don't even know they're there. That's so true. See, because here's what you're thinking. I hope so-and-so's listening here this morning. It ain't me. God, he's not, because I'm in this chair. I'm the mature one. But reality is, there's a few of us in this chair this morning. We love God. We love, we love God. We do. We love, we love the church. We love God. We give. We serve. We tie. Whatever. But, man, like a baby, when things don't go our way, when the worship is too loud because we think it should be softer, when the pastor doesn't use enough scripture so we let him know, when it's not deep enough, when it's not whatever enough, then it's like, I got to let him know. Do you, do you know what the real challenge is for people in the high chair is this? And this is the real challenge. I've been doing this a long time. This is the beauty of being the lead pastor. I can say whatever I want, and Mike has to deal with it next week. <laughs> Moving on to the next campus. Um, now, here's the thing. Okay, here, here's the thing. Is that the people in the high chair, you know who you are, I hope. Is, is this, is that they tend to choose, this is really good, they tend to choose preference over purpose. Think about it. What's the purpose of the local church? To be a light unto the world. What's the purpose of our lives? To be, a, to be salt to the earth. To help the one person who's been astray so we can, we can present them the bread of life. And yet, the person in the high chair will say, you know what? I'll choose preference. I want the scripture this way. I want the Bible study this way. I want the music this way. I want the worship this way. I want things to be this way. And just like the baby in the restaurant, I don't really care how it affects anybody else because this is what I like. We choose preference 
over his purpose. And we do. We do. And my, my prayer is if, that, if you're there, if you can be honest and say, you know what, sometimes I'm there, that maybe you would change that. Now, let's get to what I believe is the best chair, the one that I love the most, got to be honest with you, is this chair right here. This is the chair of the guest. This is the person that is a first-time guest, or, or, and we bring him to the table, and I love this chair. 20 years ago, 20 years ago this month, March 29th, 1998, my wife and I started South Hills Church. And now there's campuses everywhere, and the impact is everywhere. 20 years ago this month, you know when my wife and I started this church? When we emptied out our savings account, when we moved in with our in-laws, and we had no money, this was our one desire. We are going to create a place that the mature believer could come. The mature believer could come and invite their friend to experience the bread of life. That was the whole point of this chair. It, it, the whole point of South Hills when it started 20 years ago was, man, we are going to help people that don't have a relationship with Jesus to put on some cool music, to, 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 to bring the Bible into everyday life and give them a chance to experience and come and taste and see that the Lord is good. 20 years ago, this is why this church started, for this seat right here, the first time guest. That's why we started it. Do you know over 70 times in the Bible, over 70 times in the Bible, the word table is, is, is shown. In other words, like in the Old Testament, there was a showbread in the, ta- in the tabernacle. In Psalms 23, he, 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 pre- he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy. In the New Testament, the, the disciples reclined with Jesus at the table. In Revelation 3, the Bible says that we'll all be in heaven and we'll all eat forever at the table. Doesn't that sound awesome? Eat forever. Cupcakes, do whatever. No fat. Everything's great. It's exactly what heaven needs to be. And so, but it's always referred to in the table. And then in Luke 14, which is where I want to go right now, we find Jesus using the table one more time and his example. And look what he does. And his whole point of the parable was this chair right here. It wasn't about the high chair. It wasn't about the mature believer. It was about guests at the table. Brand new people that have never tasted the bread of life. Look at Luke 14. Let's take a look at it. Jesus, re- uh, let me see. Whoop. There we go. Yeah. Jesus replies with the story. And I'll go ahead and just read it with you. It says, A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. Go to the next one. Now, stay right there for a second. Okay, when Jesus tells a parable, he is usually referring to him and us. So he kind of tells this example like I did about my Orlando Corvette story thing. He tells a story to kind of relate to the master being Jesus and everybody else being, you know, you and I. So, but they all began making excuses. One said, I just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pair of oxen and I want to try them out. Isn't that interesting? You buy animals, but now you're going to try them out? Talk about lame excuses. I mean, seriously, who buys it? You you don't even know if these things can walk. Please excuse me, another said. I just got married, so I can't come. That's always a good one. Um, Go to the next. Keep going. The servant returned. Now a second time. Okay, so here's the master. Okay, follow me. I want you to get this story. I'm the master. Jesus says, I'm the, in, the, in the example, he's the master. I have prepared a table for people to come and eat of the bread of life. And I want you, the servants, to go out and find guests and tell them to come in. 
Then what does he say? The servant returned and told the master what they said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Keep going. There we go. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you come, uh, you find to come so that this, help me out, house what? Will be full. Now, are you following what's happening here? Here's what he says. Jesus says, okay, look. He says, the, 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 the church really is like a table. And, and I want you servants to go out and bring guests, that's this chair right here, to come and experience the bread of life. And I love this. They went out and they said, man, we tried, Jesus, we tried, and no one will come. What, did, he, did he say, oh, don't worry about it then. All's good. No, no, you go out and try it again. Then they come back a second time, and they're like, man, they're still there. You know, not everybody will come. No, then you go out another time. Why did he say it? I want my house full. I want it full. I want my house. Now, here's three things that I think are really interesting on this, in this scripture, and I just want to point these things out. Number one, big idea number one, the focus was on bringing guests to the table. The focus in this story wasn't the servants, wasn't the high chair, wasn't the people that, had, the, the whole focus of the story Jesus told, not me, was I want Brand new people at the table eating the bread of life. The focus was bringing guests to the table. My wife and I, back in October, um, we wanted to go on this date, this day date, you know, go out and stuff. And so we had saved about $20,000. So that was enough to get in Disneyland. And um, we were real excited, you know. And uh, so we went to Disneyland. And it was fall and all the pumpkins are out. And we had a great time. I have a friend that belongs to Club 33. That's the exclusive club at Disneyland that, you, that costs $10,000 a year just to be a member there. And I have a friend of mine that, that and I call him up and I'm like, dude, give us reservations. And then you can't pay money there. I knew that. The friend had to pay for it, which worked out great for me. It's like the Lord is working. And so we spent all day at Disneyland and then we went to Club 33. I mean, it's exclusive, you know. And I was like, who have you had recently? He goes, oh, he goes, you know, Morgan Freeman was here a couple weeks ago, Tom Hanks. And I'm like, and now Chris and Laura Sonston. This is amazing. And um, so we went and we ate. It was amazing. It was an absolutely amazing day. Now, we love Disneyland. We, we, we go once or twice a year because we love going there and hanging out. It's just a lot of fun. And uh, we absolutely enjoy it. Now, here's an interesting thing about Disneyland. A few years ago, well, several years ago, they did a survey. And what they did is they surveyed all the people at Disneyland, hold on, that were first-time guests. The person that drew, flew from Nebraska or South Carolina or Montana or Michigan or what. They flew in and they'd never been to Disneyland before. And they wanted to see in the survey what the guests thought of Disneyland. So let's talk about the food. Let's talk about, you know, the atmosphere, the environment, the cleanliness, the rides, the cleanliness of the bathrooms, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and they got incredible scores. You ever been to Disneyland before? It's always clean. It's always nice. It's always whatever. It's expensive, but it's always amazing. Now, here's the thing. The number, everything was great. They got, they got high marks everywhere. But the number one complaint, here's the number one complaint. We didn't get to see Mickey Mouse. That was the number one complaint. I mean, when you spend, you know, thousands of dollars flying, you get a hotel room, you do all this stuff, you go to Disneyland, and you don't get to see Mickey Mouse. 
And so they got together, all the executives, and said, how can we solve this problem? I know what we'll do. We'll create a parade. And every time at 12, you know, 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock, and 9 o'clock, you can stand on the sideline of the parade, sit on the curb, and you can see Mickey Mouse. The whole entire goal was this. We're going to make sure, hold on, not the employees, not the people that have already been to the table of Disneyland. We're going to make sure that the guests see Mickey Mouse. And I thought about that when I, when I read that little survey and all that, and I thought, how interesting. Because I think that's, in a weird way, I think that's what Jesus was doing in Luke 14. I think he was saying, look, the focus, the number one thing is the guests. The number one thing is I want my house full. And so he said, I'm going to make sure. It's interesting in the story. Who did he tell? The servants. He, he loved the servants, but this was his focus right here. I want my house full. The focus of the whole story was bringing guests to the table. Now, here's the second big idea. Put it on the screen for me because this is, this is the one that we have to run into. This is the one that should challenge us the most. The people at the table are the ones responsible for bringing guests to the table. Isn't it interesting that Jesus came in this story in this story, he says this. He says, look, he goes, you, you new believers, you mature believers, and you high chair believers, I want you to go out and get people and find them. I want my house full. I want them to experience me, Jesus is saying, the bread of life. All the focus was this. I want you. The servants came and said, we tried. I invited my next door neighbor. The guy at the gym, I invited him and he said no. And then, and then this, the, the person at the grocery store I see all the time, they said no. And then, and then the teller at the bank that I see once in a while, she, they said no. And then Jesus comes back and goes, well, that's not good enough. Go back out there and find some more. I want, help me out, my what? House full. It's exactly what he said. And so it was all of these servants that were this. Years ago, I was a youth pastor, and uh, uh, many years ago, it seems like way a long time ago, it was right after the birth of Jesus, I'm getting so old, but um, I was a youth pastor many years ago, and we had a youth group that we took over, uh, my wife and I, and it maybe had like, I don't know, uh, 40, 50 kids in it, and then it went from 50 to about 100 to 125, it was growing like crazy, and man, we were just seeing new teenagers come to Christ, it was so cool, And, uh, uh, and then one day, this girl comes up to me. She's 14 years old. Her name is Jennifer, and she's, she is awkwardly tall for her age. She's just shy of six foot, and she's only 14 years old. And she's insanely shy, really shy, like me, really shy. And, and she's like, bless you, Chris. And I'm like, going, I'm, I'm, you know, you're leaning in, and you're putting your ear right up in her mouth, and people are looking at you like you're weird, and you're like, I can't hear her, you know? And she's just, um, I, I want to bring friends I want people to have Jesus like me. And I said, okay. I said, bring some friends next week. So she calls me Tuesday. Our youth group meets at Tuesday at 7 o'clock. She calls me Tuesday at 3 o'clock after school. I, um, Pastor Chris, this is Jennifer. I, and she goes, do you remember me? I'm thinking, how can you forget, you know? <laughs> Even at that point, I'm going, like, trying to listen to her. And she's like, I'm, um, I'm going to bring some friends. But we live 10 miles away. I've never told you that before. You'll have to send. Can you send, like, a, a car to get us? Or a, a minivan or something? I go, well, how many friends do you have coming? She goes, I have five friends coming. I go, you're bringing five people to church? I'm thinking, I didn't even know you knew five people. <laughs> how could you have five friends? You don't talk to anybody. And so 
Sure enough, I called my friend. I go, hey, dude, you got a minivan. Go here, go to this address, pick up these girls at 6.30 and these guys, whatever, around the corner. And there's seven of them. They all crammed, it was more than five. They all crammed in this minivan, right? All her friends from high school, 10 miles away. So she, she calls me a couple weeks later. Oh, Pastor Chris, I got, I got more friends coming. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I got more friends coming tonight. And uh, um, I think I've got like about 15. She goes, do you own one of those big vans? I'm like, yeah, I got them in. Hold on, let me check the lot. No, I don't have a lot of car. <laughs> you think I'm a car salesman? And so I said, I called my friend. I knew he had a big van. I'm like, dude, can I borrow your van, dude? I go, we got to send someone to go pick up these girls. I go, how many friends you got coming? I got like 15. I'm like, okay. Send them down there. Boom, they come back. There's 15 people in the van. I'm like, unbelievable. She called me a couple weeks later. You know, um, we have way more than 15 this time. I go, how many do you have? I go, you need two vans? She goes, um, no, um, I, I need a bus. She goes, I have 50 people coming. I go, you have 50 people coming. She wants me to find a bus at 3 in the afternoon on a Tuesday by 6 o'clock. No problem. So I called Laidlaw Buses, you know, the, the school district. I'm like, hey, I need a bus. I got to pick up kids. I'm a pastor. We don't do that. I'll go, come on, man, please do it. It was $400. And I was like, man, I asked the pastor, he's like, we don't have any money. And so I'm the youth pastor. I'm like, well, I don't got any money, you know. And I thank God for Veronica Alvarez. I don't know who she is, but I found her credit card, and God worked it out. No, I'm, I'm totally playing. <laughs> we ended up working it out one way or another, and we round the corner. I went on the bus. I'm like, I got to go on this one. I, I told her, I said, there better be 50 kids. This is costing me money. I round the corner, and there are like 58 kids, high school students. We all load the bus. You know, and I'm like, this is, un- I'm taking pictures, this is unreal. So then we drive back. A couple more weeks later, oh, Pastor Chris, um, I, I think I have more than a bus. I'll need two buses. And I said, two? I go, how many people have? And she goes, I think I have close to 100. I round the corner, I go and get two buses, 800 bucks. I round the corner, there's 115, 118 kids. High school students. Crazy. I'm like, uh, our youth group went from, are you ready? From 100 to about 225 with one girl. One 14-year-old, shy, would never, she would not, she, if she came up here, she'd pass out, we'd all have to go to Kaiser. She, shyest girl in the world. So what do you do when you have a girl like that? You exploit her. So here's what, this is what I mean by that. You let everybody know how great she is. So I, I spoke at a youth pastors conference. There was 500 youth pastors all there, and you know, and everybody's, I'm preaching away and doing this thing about being a youth pastor, and there's 500 youth pastors in this auditorium. There's a balcony. It's like a small little balcony type church, and I'm talking, blah, 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 and then I tell the story of Jennifer. Everybody, all the 500 youth pastors are all on the edge of their seat, like, wow, we all need a Jennifer in our youth group, you know, and they're all talking. Everybody's going on, and I tell the story, you know, and I tell the story, and, everybody's like, oh, and I'm like, and she's right here now. I felt like it was an Oprah show, and it, you haven't seen her in years, you know, anyway, so... Then she comes up, and, and everybody's like, it's her. And they're all applauding, going crazy. Ah, they're cheering for her. No joke. She steps up on the step a little higher. She's already taller than me. Now she steps on the step a little higher, and so now I'm, like, lower than her. And I'm like, Jennifer, everybody heard your story. Everybody, you know, you just heard me tell the story. You know, you literally, at this point, she had brought, we identified, like, 240 or 260 different teenagers that she had personally brought to church inside of four months. 260, it's, it's insane. I go, man, it's insane. Everybody's listening to everybody. How did you do it? I'll never forget. This is exactly what she does. Everybody's on the edge of the seat. It's a packed house. How did you do it? Exactly what she does. She goes, I invite them and then they come. That was it. That's it? All the youth pastors are like, that's it? 
So we all go out to eat afterwards, and I'm sitting right next to her at the booth. I go, why did you say that? And she goes, there's nothing else to it. What else is there to say? I'm like, that's a thought, you know. I take that story of Jennifer, 14 years old, who by herself, single-handedly, created this enormous youth group that ended up growing to 300 to 400. There was, there was a few nights in a row where we were hitting 600. The church only had 250 adults. Our youth group was massive, running multiple services. It was out of control. It was out of control. And it was one girl that just said, if I invite them, they'll come. Some of those kids today are still serving God. And a couple of those kids are in full-time ministry because a 14-year-old shy girl said, if I invite them, they'll come. The people at the table, I think Jennifer understood something at 14 years old that you and I have not gotten yet, that the people at the table are the ones responsible for bringing guests to the table. It's my job. It's your job. It's how we, it's how we, it's how we help people experience the bread of life. It was the job of everybody at the table to fill the table. The third thing is this, I, I think is pretty interesting. Put it on the screen for me. The third and final thing I want to give you is that the master isn't satisfied until the table is full. That's interesting. I want you to think about this for a moment. Remember the story? We won't read it again. He goes up to the servants. He goes up to everybody else at the table. I want you guys to go out there and find some guests and bring them to the table. I want them to experience the bread of life. They go out. They try. They come back. Hey, everybody had excuses. Everybody, everybody was busy. Did he go, you know, that's all right. Don't worry about it. All is well. No, he said, nope. I want, if, you, if they said no, then go to another group and find them. He went out and they shared. They come back and they're like, hey, there's a lot of them that still said no. Did he say, you know what, you tried your best. That's two tries. You tried your best. Nope. He said, nope. Now you're going to go out a third time. He wasn't satisfied until the table was full with brand new people that would come and taste the bread of life. I love this story. It's so challenging because he, the servants, they had this role, and he was saying, I want my house full. And you know what that means? That the dude with the food and the new believer and the mature believer and the one that we still haven't admitted that we're high chair believers, every one of us at the table, and including me and my wife and Crosby, all of us are responsible to bring guests to the table. This is a big thing. You know, it is such a big thing to Jesus. You think, well, that's just one parable. Go to the next chapter. Don't, don't, we won't go there, but go to the next chapter. He just goes and drops down three more parables to enforce his point. Let's talk about the parable of the lost son in the next chapter. The father goes out and goes the other road because he wants his son to come home. Let's talk about the lost coin, the woman that turned her whole room upside down because she lost some money. He's equating that over to God and saying, Jesus is going to do everything he can to get people at the table. Let's talk in Luke 15, the very next chapter, third parable. Let's talk about the, the lost sheep. The shepherd says, I'll leave the 99 just to go find the one. We sung about that earlier. This is what he's talking about. It wasn't just one parable. It's not just some pastor who loves reaching people and wants to grow big, big churches. It's that people matter to Jesus. And when I stand in heaven and I stand before the master's hands and, and feet who have been wounded with the nails of the cross, I don't want to look at him and say, I really didn't even try. Because when I go to heaven, I don't get to take anything with me. Not money, not food, not a car, not a boat, not a house, nothing. The only thing I get to take is other people. And I am not showing up empty-handed to my master. Not going to do it. 
not going to do it. It's, we're going to see him soon. And I am not showing up empty-handed. Little 14-year-old Jennifer isn't showing up empty-handed either. She's going to be able to say, look at all these people. She had invited more people to church than all of us in here combined. 14 years old. She just realized that it was her responsibility and the master wasn't satisfied until the table was full. You know, I, uh, uh, Julie, she can go ahead and come and we're going to wrap it up, but I want to share with you and I really want you to stay focused right here because this is really important. So we have a lot of campuses and then we have a lot of what we call network campuses so I go and visit. So I travel almost every week. So just a couple weeks ago, a couple, two, three weeks ago, I was in Raton, New Mexico. Any ever been to Raton, New Mexico? There's, yeah, you're probably, the, me and you are the only ones ever been there, ever. Um, I saw it, I saw you too, and it was interesting. We hung out, we had dinner. Raton, New Mexico, the closest Walmart is like 167 miles away. You're in the middle of nowhere. We have a network campus there that we're working with. They run a couple hundred people, which is amazing in a town of 5,000. <laughs> you got like 200 people, like you're dominating the city. So I, you know, I land in Colorado Springs, I drive all the way into Raton, New Mexico, I go and I, I let the pastor know. I text him, hey, man, I'm here. And he's like, hey, let's grab dinner. Me and my wife and the kids will take you out. I don't never met his wife and kids. And he had like three kids, like ages, I don't know, 10, 8, and 6 or something, three girls. And, uh, um, and then it was me, him, and, 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 there's, and there's nothing out in Raton, New Mexico. So I get inside the car with them. They pick me up to the little hotel. And they're like, we're going to go to the best restaurant in Raton. And they're all excited about it. I'm like, okay. We went to a restaurant inside of the Best Western. That's how good it was. And so <laughs> we went there, and I was like, this is hilarious. And so we eat dinner, and then afterwards, I looked at the three little girls. I'm like, I go, you guys like ice cream? I go, parents, are this good with you? And they're all, yeah. I go, you guys like ice cream? Yeah. And I go, is there an ice cream place? Yeah, there's a Dairy Queen a few miles away. I go, come on. I go, I'll buy, you, I'll buy the girls ice cream. So they're like, yeah. You know, now I'm their new favorite pastor. So we drive in their car over there with a little Suburban over to whatever, Dairy Queen. We go in, and I walk up there, and the three girls are right there next to me, and the parents are right behind. I go, okay, girls. I go, whatever you want, you tell them. I'm buying. And she goes, I want a blizzard. And they start yelling off all these ice cream orders. The lady behind the counter says this, sorry, we don't have ice cream today. I'm thinking, it's what you do. <laughs> it's like going to the colonel and going, yeah, we're out of chicken. I mean, how do you? <laughs> it's what you do. Ice cream is what you do. How can you be? It's the main thing. And she goes, well, we still have hamburgers and fries. I'm like, that's nice that you have hamburgers and fries, but ice cream is the main thing. Like, this is what you guys do. It was crap. I literally, you can go on Facebook and see me. I videoed it. I'm like, I'm in Dairy Queen, and they don't have ice cream. It was hilarious to me. I'm thinking, it's the main thing you do. Yeah, you got hamburgers and fries. That's great. But it's the main thing you do. You know what my fear is? 20 years ago this month, my wife and I started South Hills Church. We have one mission, to lead unchurched people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, to fill this chair. That was our goal. And man, God did it. <laughs> Opening day, we had 286 people. The next week, we had 140, because you got a bunch of people there to wish you well, <laughs> and they're gone. But then it took, took off to 200, to 300, to 400. We went to a second service, a third service. We moved to another facility, then a gymnasium. Within a year and a half, we had four services, and it was just growing, and it was brand new people. It was crazy. But you know what my fear is? I think that some of our campuses, and maybe we're, we're guilty of it too, that we've, we've lost the main thing we do. The main thing we do. Now, now, now listen. 
We may have hamburgers and fries, small groups, outreaches, things we do to bless people in the community with beyond our walls. And that's awesome. And we want all of that. We do. The hamburgers and fries at this church are great. But I think we've lost the main thing. The one thing that Jesus called us most to, to bring guests to the table, to experience the bread of life. And I, I just feel like in the last couple of years that, our, that we've lost that. And I don't know if all of our campuses have, but I think more than not, we have. I'm very convicted by this, and we have to return to it. We have to return to it. I just think that the, the torch that we're called to carry has gone too dim, and the burden that we've called to carry, it's become too light. We have to get back to why we even started this church 20 years ago, South Hills. And we sure got to get back to the master who said, I want my house full. Oh, Easter's coming up. We'll have a bunch of people here. I mean, if you can't bring someone on Easter, it's like the easiest time of the year. But more than Easter, because that's really what this series is all about leading up to Easter. That's important. But I think there's something even greater important that God needs to do something in our heart. We need to have a heart that beats in alignment with the master who leaves the 99 to find the one who turns the house upside down to find the lost coin who stands on the edge of the road to look for his son and who says to all the servants, you and I at the table, go out there and keep going until my house is full. God, restore our heart back to what matters most to you. And man, if you've been a Christian here for a week or for 50 years, I think all of us need to do a little, probably a strong word, but a little repenting that our heart has not broken and we've not searched enough to fill this guest chair to help people find the bread of life. Maybe we just need to say, God, we're sorry. And it changes today. Not because it's Easter coming up. It just changes in our life 365 days a year. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I pray that you would bring us back to the mission that this church started for 20 years ago. And God, bring us back, most importantly, to the mission of your heart. God, parable after parable after parable leads us to this idea that you love us and that you want people to find you and you are putting it upon us as servants to fill the chair. How many would just say with me, Chris, I think that I've not done as good a job as I could in this and I want to change it. With your eyes closed there, now listen, it only took one girl in one youth group to revolutionize that church. There's a network campus of ours in San Antonio, Texas. One 28-year-old girl has caught the vision. That, that campus always ran about 70, 80 adults. Now it's running about 200. One girl alone in the last year has brought 70 people to the church. It only takes one person to say, you know what? That's it. I want to line my heart up with Jesus. It's not 
in this area, I fall short. Would you just raise your hand and just say, I fall short. If you do, I fall short in this area. I want to change that right now. Come on, high up in the air. Come on. Like, man, God, I'm going to change it. Put it up in the air like, God, that's it. I don't care how mature believer we are, how long we've been in church. God, I'm changing this. Now, would you say it out loud with me? And I want you to say it, man, with conviction. It is just you and God. It's not you and anybody else right now. It's you and God. And I want you to say it out loud. Say, Jesus, today I have been awakened in my spirit. I have come to realize more than ever before the mission of your heart to help people come to the table and experience the bread of life today I make a promise I make an about face starting today renew my passion and help me to go out and help people come to the table It starts today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. I love you. Come on. Let's do it. Let's do it. Come on.